Welcome to the Wealth is in the Details podcast. In this podcast, financial planner Peter Raskin helps families and business owners understand and prepare for their wealth journey. Along the way, thoughtful and detailed planning can provide clarity and confidence as clients confront a multitude of financial decisions. Listen in as Peter shares stories and insight into people's wealth journeys. Now, let's get into today's podcast. Hello and welcome to Wealth is in the Details with Peter Raskin from Raskin Planning Group. Today, our podcast is entitled, Financial Decision Making Isn't Always Rational, and it really leads to the the subject of behavioral finance. So let's get started. Good morning, Peter. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you, Eric? Doing very well. Uh, Coming off of a great weekend and uh, had a lot of fun this weekend doing a little bit of remodeling around one of my houses and just needs a, a complete new kitchen, basically, and so a lot of work there, but good, exhausting weekend. How was yours? It was excellent, thanks. Good, good, good. All right, we're talking about behavioral finance, and financial decision-making isn't always rational, and I could be one of many poster children, I guess is what you say, poster children for financial decision-making isn't always rational. I don't know about you, Peter, but you're going to be talking to the choir today. Well, I think... I think it affects all of us yeah. uh, on an ongoing basis. I'd say our world is is really complicated, mm-hmm. and we have to make lots and lots of decisions on a daily basis. And more often than not, these little decisions won't have very serious short-term consequences. Mm-hmm. But over time, these decisions are really quite consequential. And I think the best example is is just you know the small uh, choices we make around food and eating. Mm-hmm. So. If we choose to eat that donut every morning, that one, that Monday morning donut probably won't affect our health tonight. But if we have a donut every morning, seven days a week, eventually we might see our waistline slowly increase. Mm -hmm. And we do this for 30 years. It can really have a dramatic negative effect on our long-term health. Yeah. So those daily small decisions aren't that important necessarily, but they do add up uh, and can become significant. Yeah, I agree 100%. And it's funny because different things, even though we do things on a daily basis, some of them are going to have effects that we'll see sooner than others. But some of them, like you said, are very long term where we just don't notice it until either A, it's too late or B, we get that wake up call. Yeah. And just another example is uh, our decision uh, to buy that Starbucks coffee every morning. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, I see people walking around with these huge cups of, uh, of coffee, and and I know they cost around $5 a cup. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and then they go out for lunch and spend another $15 on a sandwich and a bag of chips and a soda. And they do that for five days a week, and they're basically spending about $20 a day on coffee and lunch. Mm. And in downtown Boston, that's not really that unreasonable. On a day, one day a week, that's that's manageable and doable. But if you think about doing that five days a week, well, that's $20 times five, that's $100 per week. Mm-hmm. Four weeks in a month, that's $400 a month. And that's almost $5,000 a year. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's $5,000 a year that people aren't saving. And if you do that for 30 years, that's $150,000 not saved. That's a lot of sandwiches. It sure is. I mean, $150,000 in coffee and sandwiches, you just don't think of it in those terms. And it's just, it's crazy. 
Yeah, it really, it can be really dramatic. And so these decisions are not always so rational. I mean, everyone really knows that they can get coffee for less. They can make it in their office. They can bring a sandwich to, to the office. But we're not always making rational decisions, are we? We're yeah. human beings. Yep, yep. Uh, decisions out of convenience a lot of times. Exactly. When I first got into the, the financial planning world, I thought my job was to help our clients make rational, thoughtful decisions concerning their financial affairs. Mm. And I took the approach early on that if I educated my clients, presented well-researched concepts and solutions, of course they'd implement the recommendations <laughs> and they'd be on their way to meeting their objectives. I, I just figured I could lead everyone to that promised land. So how did that work out for you, Moses? <laughs> <laughs> Not so well. Yeah, um, unless you're walking so, right next to them every day, every hour, every minute, telling them, hey, you don't need that coffee. <laughs> you don't need that donut for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, that, uh, it's a great dream, but uh, reality hits you pretty quick, I'm assuming. Yeah, it, and it's, it's not that people aren't rational in different aspects of their world, but they're just not rational about everything. Yeah. And so you know, I realized that, that around decision-making and economics, that people are not computers, they're, they're human beings. And lots of things get in the way of rational decision-making. Mm -hmm. So it's it really, at this point, it, was, it didn't take very long, but I, I really became interested in, in, in understanding how people make decisions. Yeah. Now, b back in the 70s, um, there were some academics interested in a course of economics uh, that they eventually call behavioral economics. Hmm. And this, this course of study attempts to understand the how and why humans make economic decisions. It really talks about our, our tendencies and our biases. So I, I've become fascinated by these concepts and I found them really helpful in understanding human economic behavior. Again, that's not to say I know the secret formula and that will lead every client to that promised land. But I do think having this information, understanding our tendencies and our biases makes, makes me a better planner, I think more empathetic and, and less judgmental. And I think it's just helpful. It's helpful in other aspects of my relationships as well. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So what I thought I'd do today is, um, is really talk about some of these tendencies, these te human tendencies and really kind of give you a list of what I think are some of the important biases that we all face. The reason I think this is so important is just self-awareness can lead us to establish certain strategies that, that will help us overcome these inherent biases, which I, th I think we're, we're all subject to. Yeah. All right, where do we so start? Let's, yeah, let's, let's start with... Um, something that the economists, the behavioral economists call confirmation bias. And this is may, maybe something that uh, many of our listeners are, have, have heard about in the news recently, and they've heard it really discussed around the, the political discussions. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it's how in politics, for example, there's the, the echo chamber of listening to news. We all have this predisposition toward a certain belief, and we, we tend to choose to listen, watch, or read news that might express opinions we already agree with. Basically, 
it's just confirming what we already what we already know. At least that's what we we think we know. Mm-hmm. So because of that, we're putting more weight on those arguments because we agree with them, and um, it, it, we're it's basically confirming our thoughts and feelings. Yeah, nobody likes to be wrong. Everyone likes to be right, exactly, yep. and everyone wants to be part of a larger group where everyone is saying the same thing and feeling the same thing. Yeah, exactly. So here, just another example, this is around the financial arena, but a lot of people have Apple computer products, whether it be iPhones, iPads, computers, and they love them. Mm -hmm. And you walk into a store and you feel really good about walking into one of their stores and you watch the news and their stock keeps on climbing. And you're only, you're only hearing really good things about the company and the stocks. So, so matter no matter what the current price or 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 other stock investment alternatives are that are out there, you decide to buy the stock because it feels good. Mm-hmm. You buy the stock, the stock continues to increase, and this confirms your feelings about the stock. You you might even buy more stock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and but you haven't looked at any other investment options. Yeah. Or understand how the risk of owning so much of, of Apple stock might affect you and how it's pricier now than it was a year ago or two years ago or three years ago. This strategy can work really well from an investment perspective until it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> and again, there's nothing wrong with Apple stock as a, com- as, as a company. Their products are, are excellent. However, if you've watched the news recently or over the last few months uh, and this year, Apple stock has come down pretty significantly from its, from its all time high. Mm-hmm. So those people that have bought a lot of that Apple stock because it felt good because it's, it, they've been, been watching it and listening to uh, what other people are saying about it are really uh, more affected by that loss because they've got such a high concentration in that position. It seems like it's also kind of, you could categorize it as being comfortable with the familiar. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. That's good. Another tendency that, that I think a lot of humans, human beings uh, experience is this tendency to be overconfident in our abilities. Okay. So we tend to overestimate our own ability and, and performance. Uh, We tend to believe our performance is better relative to others this is, I think, a wonderful thing for, for people to feel confident and to, be, to really believe that they can achieve success. But this human behavior, this tendency, can be dangerous. Mm-hmm. So just as an example, um, most people believe they're better drivers than the average driver. I'm sure you, you may have heard that study before. I, I am better than the average driver. Exactly. <laughs> You're so good, you can... You can um, read your email on the phone, maybe do some texting because you're just a better driver, Mm. even though others really shouldn't be doing that. That's right. (laughs) So, you know, it's kind of, how can, how can the vast majority of people actually be better than the average? It just, it just doesn't happen. I've also found that some people that have had great success in one area of of their life believe they're, exceptional or they can really do a good job in other areas as well. I think of those founders of, of successful small businesses. They think they can do it again and again and again. And they may very well be really talented. Uh, but there's this this feeling that 
you're really good. And it, you may not always be as good as you think you are. Mm-hmm. I try to remember that it's not what you know that can lead to success, but it's what you don't know that can avoid mistakes. Mm. So just again, back to the financial world, if you purchase a stock that increases in value, your stock picking prowess might've been confirmed and you, you have a tendency to become overconfident in that, in your ability to pick stocks. Yeah. So you've chosen, you've chosen one or two or even three really good stocks that have done well. And you begin, begin drinking your own Kool-Aid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And in fact, you most likely got lucky. Uh, your stock picking skill isn't necessarily repeatable mm-hmm. over time. And this overconfidence can tend to drive people to make more risky decisions. Yeah, absolutely. So an example of that is people not purchasing adequate insurance. People say that to themselves, you know, I'm in great health. I take good care of myself. I don't have any family members that died prematurely or became sick. And so they don't buy necessarily as much insurance or the the right kinds of insurance that they should. And meanwhile, if something happens, the consequences can be severe. Overconfidence can really be dangerous and, and put your financial world at risk. Yeah, absolutely. So the third bias I'd like to talk about is something we call hindsight bias or another, it's also known as uh, the new it all along effect. Okay. So it's, it's a really our tendency to believe that past events were more predictable than they actually were. And the problem with this, it, it can lead to oversimplification in cause and effect. So it leads us to assume For example, economics or business decisions, interest rates, stock markets, we tend to believe that they're predictable. And when in fact, there's really little evidence that this is the case. Give us just an example of what that looks like. Yeah. So back in 2007, if you remember those those days, there were just a few investment professionals and economists that that actually predicted the Great Recession and and the stock market decline. But the vast majority of, of professionals didn't make that prediction. Mm-hmm. So should we assume that those that correctly made the right call at that point in time are smarter than everyone else and will likely make accurate predictions in the future? Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, it goes right back to what you were talking about earlier. It's kind of sometimes people get lucky. Yeah. And that's not to say that those people who made those predictions aren't smart. <laughs> no, exactly. No, yeah. Don't assume that. No. Yeah. And, and, and it's not that they, they didn't take a, a different look at the world, but it's, it's, it's just that these, these kinds of events are just not really predictable. And, and again, this is called hindsight bias. Mm-hmm. So our feeling is, is we should probably just assume that markets and the economy are always unpredictable. And we should always prepare for the worst. Gotcha. And I, clients ask me all the time, what do you think is going to happen? And, you know, I think, you know, they, they say, I think uh, because of this administration or that administration or these things happening in the world that we need to prepare. And my comment is, you know, we should always be prepared. Yeah, absolutely. What's really interesting about this bias, I think, is that we, we tend to recognize it in others but we tend to uh, we tend not to recognize it in ourselves. How so? Well, just that uh, 
we, we can say, oh, you're just simplifying the issues that are coming and you're just guessing about the future, that, mm-hmm. that, that bias. Got it. Um, so you may not be able to predict, but I think I can. Mm-hmm. Got it. All right. So what's the next bias? Recency bias. Oh, all right. And recency, recency bias is when we tend to put more weight or credence on, on more recent events. Okay. So, you know, you think about this, you, you, people have short-term memories when it comes to the stock market and it's either declines or increases. And we tend to forget that markets don't go up forever. And when they go down, they, they always recover as a whole. So as I look back over the last 10 years, I'm amazed at how quickly really people have forgotten what happened in the stock market starting in 2007 and how over 18 months it lost over 50% of its value. Mm-hmm. And over the, rec- over the last few years, those same clients that were really anxious back then have wanted to take on more risk because they've seen the market continue to do well. They felt more comfortable and therefore they're wanting to place more risk into their portfolio to generate better returns. And this can be, again, be dangerous. So, we try to avoid that recency bias. Uh, unfortunately, clients often focus on the more recent past and ig- ignore those long-term trends and and really the inherent risks in 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 the short term. Yeah, I, I think that's just human nature, though, where we want to think the best of something, whether that's exactly. a, a financial market or a relationship or a, a job, right? I mean, your 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 job could be terrible for a full year, and all of a sudden, the last six months have gone really really well. You're you're not looking at the cause of why it didn't go well for that year. You're just thinking, you know what? These last six months have been great, so it, it's going to be it's going to continue to be great, uh, even though there's definite red flags as to why you should be looking to go someplace else or or anything like that, or even relationships. Um, we want to find the best in both people and circumstances, and so it, I think it's kind of hard to get over that sometimes. I think it is absolutely. All right, where do we go from here? Okay. Um, Another bias, which I think affects us all in so many ways, is called uh, the anchoring and adjustment bias. Hmm. I think this really affects us on a, on, a, on a daily basis. What I'd like to do is just give you an example as a way to explain how this works. Yeah. So let's start with something we know. For example, we start with the value of, of our residence. And this example, your neighbor's home, which is very similar to yours, sold for a million dollars a year ago. And in the meantime, you've decided that uh, your home, because it's right next door and similar, similar styles and size, is also worth a million dollars. Yeah. So think of this as your anchor value. Got You're it. Anchored on that price. But over the last year, since your neighbor sold, sold, the, sold their house, interest rates have increased. The economy's slowing down a little bit. Real estate market's softening. And so you may you may take that into account as you're putting your house on the market, uh, but you still want that million dollars mm-hmm. in value. And given that, you're still willing to negotiate, and you'll say, "Okay, I'll settle for nine hundred and fifty thousand." So your price anchor is the is the million, and your adjustment, in this case, to to the real estate market, gotcha. is fifty thousand dollars. So that's that. Uh, that that adjustment to the anchor mm-hmm. that you're making—that's the bias. 
And so in your mind, anything less than your anchor is a loss as far as you're concerned. Mm -hmm. And in fact, your adjustment is probably too small. And in this case, that's the bias. Yeah. And most people, when they're adjusting from their anchor, uh, that adjustment is just is just smaller than it should be. Yeah. Yep. So in this example, your your realtor is telling you to put the house on the market for nine hundred thousand, and it might sell for eight seventy five, and you 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 ignore what your what your realtor tells you. Uh, your house sits without any offers for for the six months, and meanwhile the the market continues to soften. Your realtor is coming back to you and saying, "Okay, we think you need to drop the asking price to nine hundred thousand, and you're going to have to settle for eight twenty-five. Yeah. So your anchor and adjustment bias have likely cost you, you know, fifty thousand dollars plus the carrying costs over that six-month period. Mm-hmm. And another example: just uh, clients who, who purchase a, a a stock, and they they may purchase it at its at its highest value, or they may have seen it go up over a long period of time, and they're unwilling to sell it at a lower price. Yeah, they want it to come back to the previous high, even if there are better opportunities. Well, and the the funny thing is, is that it anchoring and adjustment bias. It couldn't be a better name because an anchor is used for one thing, and that's to hold a ship in place. And in other words, it's stuck, right? Yeah. And so when you're stuck on your million dollar price tag, or you're stuck you know, in this mindset of, Hey, if I'm asking lower than that, it's, you know, I'm losing all this money. I mean, looking at that, those last numbers you were talking about, you know, if you have to settle for 825,000, well, all of a sudden from a million, that's what $175,000 loss, quote unquote, in your mind from what your neighbor got. Um, and this hits home for me because my neighbors sold their house. It sold in less than 24 hours. Uh, and it's similar to mine value wise and everything. However, uh, I had two kids living here, two large dogs living here. They were married couple, no kids, no dogs. And he redid the inside beautifully. We, we talked about it many times. He had hardwood bamboo floors that he installed mm. and he did a great job and all these modern upgrades. There's a whole different story on the inside of this house than just, you know, what's on the outside and how many bedrooms it has, how many square feet it is uh, that totally played into that. And I know that my well well-worn, well-used house with kids and dogs isn't going to match the quality that he had inside. So I cannot go by that. And that's, I think it's, it's your, your example is perfect. And also again, emotionally attached to something, an emotional anchor in, in a way with that investment or that stock going back to Apple, I, I use Apple products. And if I think that that's great, well, no, it's, it's, it's got to go higher. It's got to go back to where it was because Apple is such a great, you know, company that just might not be true. They could be a great company, but their stock doesn't necessarily have to go back to where it was. Right. Yeah. And there's, there may be no basis for thinking about that value, whether it's, whether it's Apple stock or, or your, or your real estate, Yeah. you know, a, a, an asset is only worth what someone is willing to pay for it. Exactly. At that, at that moment in time. Yep. That's a perfect way to say it. The final bias I'd like to talk about today is called loss aversion. And again, th this is something I think we all face on a daily basis. Behavioral scientists have, have long studied people's deep-seated de desire to avoid losses. Mm -hmm. uh, we're, even, we're programmed to hold on to something, even if these other opportunities are likely to be neutral or even advantageous to us. Yeah. It's, in fact, the studies tell us that a loss hurts more than an equivalent gain gives pleasure. 
Oh, that's that's interesting. Yeah, it really is. So this desire to hold on to something like a like a bad stock or a bad job, mm. a bad relationship because of a perceived loss can really lead to inertia. Hmm. And I think that's that's the primary reason why a lot of people don't make changes because they see that what they're giving up is a loss and they don't think about what they're going to to be either just as good or possibly better. It's a risk. Yeah. Yeah, that's change can be hard, but it can also be positive. <laughs> yeah. Change is difficult. I agree. It is. So I'd like to um, end today's podcast just uh, briefly kind of revisiting what I said earlier is that uh, I think this whole area of, uh, of economics is fascinating. I think it helps me in lots of areas of my life, not just as a financial planner. I think it, it can make people more empathetic and, and less judgmental to to others as, as we're making decisions. Yeah. And I think what I'd like to um, suggest is that tr people try to recognize the biases and tendencies that we all have, but then use different tools and strategies to avoid avoid the common ones. Yeah. Uh, as an example, of that and uh, you know I think hiring a professional advisors can really help challenge these tendencies and biases. Mm -hmm. You know, be self aware that we're likely confronting these these decisions on a daily basis basis and try to make decisions that aren't always so easy, but keep on trying. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's the bottom line. Just keep trying. And, and honestly, I think that the biggest hurdle that most people have to get over is those of you listening now, and it's funny because some of the things that he said, uh, that Peter said really resonated with me. I've got a motorcycle in my garage that I, I tried to sell last year, but I, my asking price was justified by the fact that it was my baby. I've kept it, you know, in top condition. It's got all the accessories on it. And the market is flooded or was this last year flooded with motorcycles. And so it wasn't selling and I didn't sell it because there's no way I'm going to take a thousand less than what I'm already asking. Uh, and did I need the money? Not necessarily. Uh, but it also would have been an opportunity to use that money for something else. And now the or the motorcycles still sitting in my garage, it's dead of winter <laughs> and I won't be able to use it for the next five months anyway. So there's, there's a lot of things that really hit home with me. So if you're listening to this and any of those biases hit home with you, just, just think about that. Just think about, you know what, is there a small change that I could make or is there a way that I could talk to Peter and just talk to him about what I think maybe resonated with me and, and help him to be that outside perspective? Because that's what we all need. We need somebody that's there and says, you know what, let's talk about it. What do you, what do you think? You know, do do you need the motorcycle? Do you need to have it take up space in your garage? What would you gain by having that gone? What could you use that money for in this next six to eight months and then eventually get another bike when you're ready? Uh, that would have been a great perspective. And my, my wife probably tried, but <laughs> that's that's a whole nother story when it's your spouse that's trying to be that outside Absolutely. perspective. So I would I would encourage each one of you, if you're listening to this and anything struck a chord with you, reach out to Peter and his team because they'll give you an honest, fair assessment and just say, hey, look, let's let's talk about it together. There's no judgment. It's just human nature that we want to hold on to certain things and we want to make certain decisions based on our experiences and our knowledge. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, as long as decisions we're making are best for our financial future or best for our health or best for our whatever our situation is. So, Peter, thank you so much. You brought up a lot of great points today. Oh, thank you, Eric. All right. We'll talk to you soon, Peter. Hey, and thank you, everyone, for listening to the Wealth is in the Details podcast with Peter Raskin. 
If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Peter comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening today. For everyone at Raskin Planning Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Wealth is in the Details podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Peter Raskin is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Securities offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker, dealer, member SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Sagemark Consulting, a division of Lincoln Financial Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Affiliates and other fine companies. Raskin Planning Group is not an affiliate of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.